Welcome to Baldly Go, the officially unofficial podcast for all the Star Trek that we care to cover. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Season 2, Episode 2, Ad Astra per Aspera. Uh, Aaron, how you feel about this episode? What do you, what do you think about that title? That title's I, good, right? Every time I saw it, like on the screeners and in Gmail and in my show notes, I always think about the Ad Astra meme. Brad Astra is Sad Astra about his dad okay. Astra and Ad Astra. That's uh-huh. all I can think about. That's all I can think about. <laughs> um, That's fair. But but I like how they I like how they work the theme into uh, their main story. Like I mm-hmm. I joked about like, do you think we're going to get a measure of the man uh, episode uh, similar to the the is is data uh, his go. own individual yeah. or can he be a can can you enslave sentient beings in the Federation um, from Star Trek season uh, next generation season two and I'll be damned this is pretty much a uh, a measure of the man but you know it's been 30 plus years since that episode came out and I felt like there it, it resonates a little bit differently with slightly different uh, kind of social issues but mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't know I, I like seeing the Federation wrestle with its uh it's yeah, and, and it's not like that's the other thing. It's like it's not like the the Federation has no reason to be fearful or um, to have prejudice against genetically modified individuals. You know, there, there is, are wars fought over this stuff. Yeah, uh, tens of millions died in mm-hmm. these wars. <laughs> and it, it's just staggering body toll. Uh, so I, I I actually really liked it. Um, it's really crazy. This is something that Seppenwall mentioned in his review of Strange New Worlds. I, I got a chance to see that when the first episode dropped. Uh, you know, he got the same six episode package we got. We're not watching in advance. I know he's seen the whole thing, and see, he echoed some that like it's kind of wild that in two episodes of Star Trek: Strange New Worlds, the star ostensibly uh, Ansel Adams, Christopher Pike, has been in it for what ten minutes, maybe out mm-hmm. of both episodes. And the show's just humming along. That's pretty incredible. Uh, What did you think of the second episode? Uh, I think mechanically it has some problems. Uh, We've recently watched some courtroom drama films, and I will say this is not a particularly good one. This one feels like it's a written-for-television, fantasized version of a courtroom drama, but... Also, I really do appreciate, you know, the the points that are made, the the heart of of the episode I think is very strong. And I've heard that, you know, if I have qualms with this episode, buckle in for the next like four because apparently the first two are a little rocky and the next four are pretty good. So Oh wow. Well I've been... if this is as bad as it gets, sign me up, you know. Yeah, we'll be eating well uh yeah. from our replicators as Star Trek fans. Yeah, because I did quite enjoy this episode, um, even down to like the little stuff that they do with the the atmosphere of this planet is mm-hmm. not breathable for Pike, um, but it is for these genetically modified Illyrians. Uh, I like all that that little world building stuff they do. Yeah, I like that. I even thought the twist at the end where, you know, I, I thought that was because you go back and watch Measure of a Man. It really feels like a junior high school courtroom proceedings. Like it's like, yeah, you just but they it have wasn't no... like official, right? That that was more like that felt like an ad hoc court to me. This feels yeah. extraordinarily official. They have a building for it. That, yeah. Yeah. Feel, it, it doesn't it feel like a. um it, it it felt to me like a Supreme Court case, you know, 
Uh Uh, Like this is like everyone go into it knowing that there was like, you know, this is a big high profile case. I like that there was some, you know, villains. It's always like they had the. The the, the, the Vulcan, Vulcan prosecutor. played the 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 Ma- the Madrox wasn't that his name uh the guy oh, who's done in the know. disassembled data like there's always someone with an oh, axe Maddox, to grind yeah. Maddox mm-hmm. Maddox not Madrox the multiple man uh Maddox yeah I I thought that stuff the 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 twist at the end where you know she introduced all this testimony and it's supposed to be damning to particularly Captain Pike mm-hmm. as this admittedly high stakes uh, defense strategy but she hammers it into the shape of an official request for asylum. Uh, I thought that was pretty good. And it, it, it yeah. skewers the Federation with its own principles and ideals, which I thought this was so much better than, you know, as much as I like measure of a man. Um, it's kind of insane when you watch that show to think that that was even, you know, like who the fuck thought you could own data who, yeah. you know, who like wh- what? Um, Cause he's got an off switch. Like Riker's got an off switch too. Let me show you. It's it's remote controlled. In fact, it's with a phaser. Boo! You know, it's uh-huh. like, look, he's gone. No more continuum of consciousness. I but I thought this was this one. I felt like maybe because it's more modern and it has like multiple shades of meaning too. Like mm-hmm. there's a little bit that you I think that can apply to a bunch of different situations nowadays. I thought the social commentary was you know it's pretty heavy handed, but that stuff usually is in Star Trek. You're not. You know, it, it's it wasn't supposed to be a debate about data's sentience and his existence and his ability to be a free person. Right. You're supposed mm-hmm. to the Federation is supposed to look like they're a bunch of uh, idiots. Um, and I think that works here, too. But even better, because that was just like this guy want to take data apart to make more robots, more slaves like this is um, something, you know, like 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 goes to the heart of one of the deepest wounds the Federation has this eugenics wars and how vulnerable they felt to these super soldiers. Um, and it just felt like, again, it just felt like a, a culture coming to grips with something that probably they needed to for a long time. And mm-hmm. the point of like that we made last week that like the Federation is not a perfect organization, but that's what it strives to be. Yeah. Like the Federation is never the institution. It's like, well, we just can't do the right thing. It's just too hard. It's impossible. Like, Mm-hmm. You're never that's never supposed to be the final answer for the Federation. You know, we'll fucking invent. We'll flip a Benzai. We'll we'll reverse the polarity. We will separate the saucers <laughs> until justice we'll modulate is found. the shield frequency. frequency yeah. yeah. We'll rotate those shield and phaser harmonics until the board can no longer adapt. Um and I yeah, I it's even though it is set in this kind of cigar chomping, blood wine drinking, I, I like the the fact that they're acknowledging that this, yeah, we're not supposed to be a bunch of corrupt, weirdo, gray area anti-heroes on these shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it, it doesn't get much more classic Trek than a courtroom battle over an individual's rights. Sure. Yeah. And it doesn't always take place in the courtroom literally, but that's what's on trial, right? The, yeah. the ethics, the moralities of the Federation and humanity. And I, I think this is a pretty good example of that. Uh, maybe a Maybe a better example of that than even what they did with Dr. Bashir in Deep Space Nine. It's hilarious because the same day I watched this in my rewatch, I got to the episode with Bashir and the discoveries you make around him. I being always genetically forget modified. that he is genetically modified. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, he was a real dummy. And then his parents took him when he was like six to go get 
enhancements and created a new life for him and now he's one of the best doctors was he the, really like, not just average he was like below he was dumb. really oh, he's yeah. dumb he, they, they have a whole th- thing and so that's what's kind of great about that episode is you know you have measure of the man where you examine it from like what does it mean to be human and like this legal perspective are we going to define this person as a person um give them the same rights in the Bashir episode, they examine it more from what does it feel like to be that? Like, what is a lived experience? How 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 do you feel about your parents when they took you to have these enhancements that are illegal and you have to now hide who you are? All that stuff is explored in that episode, but this episode kind of does both. Like, legally, are we gonna are we gonna acknowledge that these people are people and should be treated as such? And also, what is the experience of those people living it? And I thought that was really solid. Yeah. I will say, I don't think this is a perfect episode. I think the courtroom drama part is kind of bullshit. And you mentioned this feeling like a Supreme Court case. It did in its importance, but it did not in its fanfare or any of that. It was kind of bizarre to me that they try and frame this as a very small unimportant decision by this court uh and i guess like technically by the law it is but can you imagine i mean there must be people following this the the news outlets must be reporting on this there must be a lot of people hinging their hopes and dreams i mean imagine the the crowd that is gathering and watching this unfold in in the illyrian territories and they don't go into any of that they, they well, don't have a moment of triumph where people are cheering and saying, yes, we are getting some recognition. So I disagree because like, I think they uh, maybe they told not showed, but they mentioned that yeah. like this is like half of the quadrant is going to be aware of this case and its importance. And Starfleet was trying to make it a small thing and make it go away. But I think it belies its importance when didn't they mention that like the chief justice of the Federation was presiding over it. Like they, that when they introduced all the different, uh, you know, the, the weird alien guy, like these are the, these yeah. are the, like, uh, it was like the, 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 it might've even been the president. Like there was some high ranking. So it's like, they, I think Fed, the Federation kind of like our modern day Supreme court tries to duck you know, trying to do any precedence and, you know, tries to put that stuff off and it's, it's trying Mm -hmm. to make the most limited case possible. And, and the thing that even though this was a huge personal victory, by the way, it, it, it went, the the way everything turns out is like, it's very muted. Like uh, Federation still has their anti genetic Mm -hmm. modification laws on the Brooks. Brooks, This ruling only applies to her. It's a limited asylum case. So Mm -hmm. they were able to shrink it back down to the narrowest thing at the end. So it was a little, but it's also framed as like a first step. And Mm -hmm. so I I think they had their cake and ate it too, in a way that I thought was pretty clever. Well, I Um, felt like the second cake was sitting there waiting to be eaten and they never ate it. Like I, cause you mentioned like show don't tell, um, and I think that's what they should have done. They should have had some frame of reference beyond just the crew watching this in their like. They want like a seven year old Illyrian watching a home like mommy, daddy, I want to join up a Starfleet. Tough kid. You're still super illegal. <laughs> uh-huh. But maybe if we have enough bad experiences going forward with the Federation, you can claim asylum from them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Uh, no, yeah. I, I did want some insight into what the Illyrians were thinking or what the general star uh, federation citizens were thinking. Um, also, I thought it was weird that the the dis, the uh, defense attorney, the high profile civil rights lawyer, mm-hmm. they I kept on mentioning that, that she kept on seeming like the the big bone of contention between her and Uma was that she couldn't hide her identity. Mm-hmm. But like she seemed extremely human. I was like, waiting for her to glow yeah. or to have a sixth finger or something. But like she looks like a bone right. stock human. So I didn't that never. And then it's like, I guess at the end, like she got to go to the city and pretend that they were human. And she stayed at the city that was identified as Illyrian. But like, again, that seemed like it was a family choice, not a like, oh, you couldn't pass for human as a matter of fact i didn't see a single illyrian who i thought couldn't pass as human right but i wonder if you can clock them a lot easier if you are like i mean they didn't have any nose prosthetics they didn't have any like forehead prosthetics you know right yeah so i don't i don't know what that was all about because she she, i don't i don't know know. she seemed perfectly uh, they're all good i noticed they're all extremely good looking these illyrians is that it it's just like you're just too fucking good looking that's it but yeah. then but then half the most you need of the to Enterprise check chapel you need to check true Pike. you need to check true. some of these people for illyrian if you looked at the genes. bone structure for that uh that vulcan he's got to have illyrian blood it's too perfect mm-hmm. it's cheekbones yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. no you're, you're correct anyway all that is to say yeah i like the episode uh and i'm excited to hear that maybe these next ones are going to be even better Hell yeah. Set phasers to add. We'll be right back. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, except it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live.
Captain on Bridge, welcome back to Baldly Go. All right, let's get into the recap. Um, we start with flashback to Una's childhood when she was apparently injured, but her parents couldn't take her to the doctor because we'll find out later, like, you need secret sympathetic doctors because they apparently lived in Federation territory there. And her glowing immune system cannot heal a compound fracture. Nor save her from the infection yeah. that would set from that. She says later in this episode that if they didn't find a doctor in the middle of the night to treat her, that she would have died. That does not look anything like a girl who's on death's door from an infection. Maybe it's something she, like her. Yeah, it's like, are there rare instances where your Illyrian immune system works against you? You know, like if you like, it maybe. can't heal a broken bone and it's it's uh it predicates on being able to just overwhelmingly put on a, a fence. So it's like, it's, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I tend to agree, but yeah, uh, she, she looks like a girl who like missed her soccer match because her right. leg was hurt, but like yeah. not, not, I mean, she should have been passed out, lying in that bed, sweating and shaking. And yeah, if, if you want me to believe she's near death, it's too bad too because I like the weird I like the the cold open on this kind of like memory of her thinking about the time she was deprived as a child and we don't really understand the context of it and then we later find a true context of it late in the third act and you know, a lot of a lot of shows pull to try this like out of uh, order kind of storytelling and it doesn't work and I thought this worked pretty well I did too yeah both from this flashback stuff and also like what happened between Una and Nira. I thought that stuff made a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, anyway, then we come back to the present day where Captain Patel offers Una dishonorable dismissal from Star Trek. From Star Trek. Yep, you're off the show uh, in exchange for pleading guilty about uh, lying on her application to Starfleet. Yeah, you're getting the the uh, Denise Crosby deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you get exiled from Star Trek. You squawked a little too much getting the it's Pharrell Terry Pharrell treatment. yeah that's the real because yeah. like uh, Denise did come back as a Romulan <laughs> clone temporal yeah. loop thing but yeah uh, uh, I don't think she I, I'm glad they were able to get a different lawyer because this lawyer seems too timid to be a lawyer I it, he does not feel like a lawyer to me he feels like a very junior grade JAG officer who's scared to death. Who knows that there's supposed to be a proper outcome to this. And he's like, Oh God, please take the deal. Cause I'm, mm -hmm. and then the, the, I like how the, she's smart enough to call that out. You know, like you, how are you going to represent me when you work for this other side? Yeah. And no, he's like, sense. yeah, that's a, well, I should recuse myself right now. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, and she's kind of threatening Una. You know, you don't want to get others dragged into this. I assumed threatening Pike at that point, which is two years of imprisonment. You know, that's not, you know, you can just avoid all that stuff too. Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's go over to Pike, uh, who goes to Volterra Nebula to find a lawyer for Una. He manages to half convince Nira, one of Una's old friends, to take the case, but she still hasn't said yes until the very next shot. 
Yeah, I I actually thought the scene of Pike wearing a rebreather and trying to wait out the secretary was uh, a good moment of comedy. Like I thought, uh-huh. Ansel, he's got pretty good timing, and like him, yeah, she can see the thing on his suit, and he's like, "I can wait here all day," and it goes from two percent to one percent. She goes, "I don't think you can." He's like, "Try me." As he's passing out, and it starts making <laughs> these old timey Star Trek flatlining noises. I thought that was really yeah. funny, and the and also kind of touching. That like uh-huh. I think the implication is he's gonna rip. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna use his own mortal frame to shame this uh, person into seeing him. And if the Lyrians think they have it bad with the Federation now, wait until one of their most decorated captains dies in the office <laughs> because he they wouldn't give him an appointment. You know. Yeah, and it's like also introduces the idea that like you you know these are not con. These are people who were trying to modify themselves so they had a fighting chance to settle this planet. Mm-hmm. That otherwise, you can see it's killing P- Pike with just seconds of exposure to it. Um, it gives you a little pre sympathy for like these aren't like Bashir's parents are trying to design a child. These aren't these isn't Khan like a genetically superior Superman that might take over. These are just people trying to. Yes, they're enhancing themselves. Yes, they are changing themselves, but they're doing it so that they can live out a normal life. Mm-hmm. And you what's know, so wrong obviously with that? there's 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 uh ways we could we could probably take the, those meanings into our, our present day, which I'm sure we'll get into later. Yeah. Uh there's an interesting detail in the scene about some Illyrians trying to reverse their mods and it having some bad outcomes sure. potentially. Uh I don't I don't know. Uh, I'm curious to see how much they're going to do with Illyrians in the future. If this is going to be kind of a season arc, you know, not obviously not with her case, but with the Illyrians in general, because I want to know more about them, especially since they're dirt. I think they're going to bring Noonien Singh's mods back into it that like, you know, Mm -hmm. I talked about this on the preview podcast. Like I thought last year was all about actually she's not superior at all. I mm-hmm. think they're going to start playing around the idea that she's in. And so it's this genetic modification, accepting the fact that some people have uh, the freedom and ability to change themselves at maybe fundamental levels that we might not be comfortable with. I could see that being a through arc through the series, you know, not the major one or not the, the entirety, but like, yeah, it's, it's relevant to our day. Our, and we got two crew members that we know of so far who are, uh, you know one is still i guess semi-closeted or like is passing for like a person who has no modifications and the other one who's modified but hiding yeah like i said it's it's pretty easy to draw some connecting dots there Um, and there's a lot of uh just ethical questions like how do you condemn someone for having mods when they were given them as a child and they had no option you know sure Um, can can she not serve in Starfleet because her parents made a choice forty years right. ago? Right. It hardly seems fair. Yeah, and uh, this is where a lot of the bigger picture things, where Pike is trying to tempt her with, like, you know, I know you don't like me, because um, there's also a lot of you know history that they just sketch to, like, why does this person not like Una? Mm-hmm. Why is she? They used to be close friends, but now she's a very uh, asserting that she's not my friend and she's willing to let her twist in the wind when she's the best civil rights attorney and it's because there's a lot there's a lot of hurt you know 
and uh, I like how Pike's like, you know, the Federation is just dead wrong about you Illyrians. And she's like, well, congratulations for discovering empathy. Let me know when the rest of the Starfleet discovers it out, Mm -hmm. you know, on their continuing missions. And he's like, well, you know, this is your chance to strike a blow. And it's funny because, like, he is offering her the same chances that Una is going to, you know, be really mad at her taking because he's essentially saying, hey, here's a case you can grandstand in soapbox and make your points. Uh-huh. And then later, Una is going to be, why are you grandstanding and soapboxing and making your points against the Federation? I was told I could. It doesn't <laughs> it feel, and it, this, this I think is interesting, that it felt like Pike was a little bit more bolder in his activism than Una was. And I almost to the point yeah. where on second watch, I'm like, are they trying to make a point about allyship? that sometime mm-hmm. you need to follow like you know you want to go in there and like with your fucking crusader hat on and your sword and your shield and rough ride and do this but like uh sometimes it's best uh almost every time all the time it's best to like let the repressed minority kind of like lead and and have the game plan and you just kind of like but mm-hmm. you know you got you know you got they're both Alarians, they both uh, have strong feelings about what's happening to them. It's just a question of tactics, I guess. But I don't. I don't think ultimately yeah. that's what they were going for. But it was interesting yeah, yeah. that like Pike is like more a little bit more gung ho because he's not the one probably going to pay the price, right? Uh-huh. It's easy for him to be an activist because he's him or no one like him is going to pay a penalty. To he thinks anyway at this stage uh, mm-hmm. for for backing the wrong horse, you know, right. So then Nira goes to see Una to hear her version of the story and she needles her about essentially being a race traitor and agrees to take the case for the sake of Illyrians everywhere. Because uh, yep. yeah, here's where we get the information about some Illyrians having mods they can't hide and some who refuse to, although I will say I think they make that point nine or ten times in this episode. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I get it. I get it. Uh, Would have been nice to see it also, but and again, we don't I, at this stage we don't really understand like the things she's saying. Like, uh, I mean, in principle, we can get that like she's mm-hmm. been able to success, successfully hide the fact that she's a metahuman for this time. And oh, you've had your fun pretending to be them, and now it's causing you, and 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 you're running back. And I, I, it would have been a little stronger if uh, what'd you say? This woman's name, Mira, Nira, I think. With Nira, yeah. If Nira was visibly different to where plausibly she couldn't pass as human, but I'm not. Yeah. But like, I we eventually find out, I guess it was, they were divided into cities and that was what the big deal is. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think it works because you'd obviously see a person who's like, Oh, you know, you don't want anything to do with us. Now that your career is threatened, you're coming in begging us, you know, an Illyrian for help. A fellow mm-hmm. here, oh, fellow Illyrian, oh, you want to do it's like, oh, what, you know, you haven't been, you haven't been with us for this whole time. Um, the yeah. idea that she has to, there has to be some kind of coming correct before mm-hmm. she's going to just jump at the chance. You make, yeah, and then maybe make sure her heart's in the right place too. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe you have been like sipping a little bit too much of the Federation's punch. Uh, yeah, and I like how they bring that around later in the episode. It's tough because, like, we really like Una as fans of the show, and it's, like, it's easy for Nier to just come across as just this, like unmitigated bitch, right? But sure. I felt like, especially by the time you get to the end of the episode, everything is pretty fully dimensional. Yeah. Agreed. Except for the Vulcan. 
the 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 yeah Sarek's old buddy he's he's an asshole oh yeah no he's he's supposed to be but he's a foiled asshole so true all is well uh we see Battelle who is pissed and goes off to tell uh go, goes to tell off Pike because Una turned her plea deal down um and you know we hear Pike talk about how morally opposed he is to the job that Battelle's been hired to do or assigned to do I guess she doesn't have a choice what if the law is wrong yeah good question there's a lot of laws that are wrong morally ethically what do you do in our system so that's the thing like we're talking about a fantasy court system right and I I feel like they get away with a lot of stuff that you don't get away with in modern courtroom dramas simply because we don't know how their legal system works exactly um but it doesn't feel like you could pull this same thing unless you were in front of a a jury of peers maybe then then you could get them to ignore laws but you can't really get a judge to ignore a law that's not their job their job is no, to, but like is to hand out sentences according to laws if you want to change laws you got to go through our Congress. On the other hand, Batal is as a prosecutor. Mm-hmm. Prosecutors do have wide latitude in what they choose to prosecute and what they choose not to prosecute. And sure. I think Pike's got a reason that like, or he's got a he's got a legitimate gripe that like, yeah, it's a law and you got to do it the law, but like also, you know, like you can get your you can. You know, like the, we decided in Nuremberg that that defense, like you're just following orders and following the rules, only goes so far. Mm-hmm. And like this kind of case, like, and boy, they, 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 I, I liked how they also brought it at the appropriate. It wasn't like the Federation was going to kill her and grind her bones up to feed to unmodified children. Like the <laughs> uh-huh. penalty was disgraced discharge and you can't serve in Starfleet. And then they're not stripping your rights as a citizen, they're not throwing you in jail you just have to give up like the stakes felt like it was appropriate for all the melodrama, you know? And I mm-hmm. like that, that even the near has pointed that out. She's like, well, if you don't like it, then okay, well your experiment federation fell, but blew up, uh, take your discharge and go and be a real regular ass person like any of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, it wasn't, you know, cause a lot of times they, they you go right to like concentration camps and execution pot and stuff like that. Like this feels like, yeah, no, it's not, it's not that it's just, you're going to lose your job. You're going to lose the thing that you you, you trained your whole life for. Something is meaningful, uh, a, a, a life of service that you had set up for yourself, um, which which you came by dishonestly in the first place, right? So, like, is it really that much of a sacrifice? You know, and it right. is to her for sure, but yeah, it's yeah. not life ending. Yeah, uh, can I just say the, <laughs> it's an especially cruel fate to grind someone up and feed them to children in a society that has like matter reclamation units and replicators. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's a grind. grind no... them? Yeah, like, uh huh, uh huh. Like they're a coffee bean. I don't know, man. That seems cruel, but <laughs> that's how they do it. Yeah, I got to get a light roasting grinder up. Those Illyrians, man, they're like taurine. They're like three times stronger in caffeine, and you drink their bones mm-hmm. properly steeped. Uh, I hope she's oily enough. Uh, let's go to the meeting of the legal teams. Um, they meet with an admiral and this is going to be the presiding admiral over this case. I don't, I don't know her exact position. Uh, 
where Battelle modifies the charges against Una because she declined this plea deal. She adds uh, bioengineering, lying, and sedition. Two counts of it, seeking 20 years in a federal penal colony. Yeah. Now this Uh-oh. is some shit right here. Can like I don't like I don't think that's that flies on Earth courthouse, at least here in America. Like Modifying if you reject the charges. The B- like if you reject a plea deal, I don't think the prosecutor can go back. Now they can throw the book at you and be like, We're gonna throw only half the book if you accept the plea deal, but like mm-hmm. not knowing the full jeopardy that you're gonna be under before you accept or reject a plea deal seems like some kangaroo banana yeah. republic bullshit. Yeah, I don't think that flies in our court system. But hey, what'd you say? It's what'd you say the Vulcan's name was? I thought it was Pasak. It's Patel. No, but Patel is the captain. Uh, oh, right, Patel. Is Pikes, okay, Pikes something. I, I forget what she is to him. It's um, a Romulan. He, she, the Vice Admiral Pasak, who came behind, and he's the one clearly behind hmm. the escalation of charges, and he's the he's the dick. I was a little worried when I saw the Vulcan on the prosecution team because. They're pretty logical. I I imagine they have a pretty good command of law. Oh, I bet. I bet. Um, yeah. But he's also his last is Pasak. That sounds like a Vulc. It sounds like a Klingon slur. Uh-huh. It's like something that would Pasak. They'd spit at you. You know, if you said something rude over the table. Uh, yeah. Pound their fists. Spill all the yeah. bloodline. Pasak. Yeah. Or something you'd be taunted like human. You have no Pasak. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Hey really, he's like, yeah, he's, he, he looks like he, he's got. A, he's, I I don't I don't say this about many uh, Vulcans. Real punchable face too. Yeah, he's got that yeah. smug, logical, superior. I'm trying to, to think him. if I've ever seen a Vulcan with a shaved head. Hmm. This might be the first. Man, there's been a lot of Vulcans when he especially yeah, when I think I wouldn't about swear like when, by it. Like like all the scenes of Spock going in his robes and like you know going into the High Vulcan Council. Like I, yeah. I there might have been a bald woman or three in some of those. Yeah, scenes. especially when you're fraternizing with Vulcan monks. Like yeah. definitely, there's a bald Vulcan in there. Yeah, somewhere, really, but... really merging with the infinite diversity and infinite combinations. You get you get yeah you lose some follicles. <laughs> <laughs> when you do I felt that. like it gave him a more sinister look. I, I don't know why. It, it does. But, it does. Yeah. It does. Yeah. So. I'm 33% more evil since I lost my hair. That's for sure. Yeah. Imagine if he had a goatee. Oh, my Ooh, God. Mirror Ball universe goatee. <laughs> uh, maybe mirror universe Prasak is a really cool guy. Oh, yeah. Very totally empathetic. Cool. Not judgmental. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Apparently, this guy hung out with Sarek a lot. Uh, hung out with Spock's dad, right? So... Yeah, what's that all about? I want to know more. I, yeah, apparently, uh, uh, Savick had a, not Savick, Sarek had a whole old boys network because uh, Spock cited him as his least favorite of his uh, father's old old colleagues. So yeah. I wonder if we're gonna get—is this gonna be like uh, you know how they had with Quark, where you kept on meeting different Romulan or not um, Ferengi, like the Grand Nagus and the different politicians and the mothers and wives? Like, are we gonna meet like mm-hmm. a cavalcade of Sarek's old buddies, and they're all just yeah, let's do it, Vulcan assholes? <laughs> you sure? Copper, copper based, blooded assholes. Sounds good to me. Uh, Sanira so and Una start to go over their case. Una wants to go on the stand to show how normal and not dangerous a Starfleet officer she is, but Nira tells her, no, we're going to do it my way, and Una agrees. Um, 
Yeah, and she's got good reasons because all the things she says is eventually going to come true. It's like, look, if you your friends take the stand or you take the stand, then they're going to be subpoenaing left, right, and center, and it's going to blow up in your faces. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to talk about this show. I didn't notice this in season one, but this show has got some of the coldest openings I've ever seen. Like, we're 10 minutes, 12 minutes into this show's runtime, and they hit me with the credits. I was genuinely shocked. Like, oh, my hmm. God. Yeah. These are frosty openings. <laughs> sure. I'm I'm okay with that. I, nothing wrong with that. Hmm. Yeah. It's a good time. Yeah, when they hit her at the 20 years. But yeah, 12 minutes into the episode. So Nira's given Una's old quarters, I think, on the Enterprise uh, to, to stay in while she's defending her. Uh, Lon brings up the possibility that some of the evidence against Una might have been gathered illegally. And she asks if that use that's useful. Nira says, yeah, probably. And she says, ah, well, I'll look into it. Because she doesn't have all the details yet. Hmm. It's very Star Trek to say that there is this landmark Starfleet case that establishes the fruit of the poisonous tree defense. I'm like... <laughs> God damn! When, in I think eighteen hundred and fifty. Yeah, I was gonna say like like, like I, I want to see them cite an English common law precedent. That's what I want. Right. I want yeah some some I, I want an obscure Federation policy to <laughs> that the Vulcans have to abide by based on some fucking thing that somebody in seventeen thirteen did in England. That's what I want. Maybe see. they just I, I assume they just threw out all the laws when they started the Federation. Every law gone. <sighs> We're rewriting the legal system from scratch, and so that's why you need all these. You'd almost modern precedents. You'd have to have like a, a federation charter meeting where like all the founding members came and like hammered because like the civilizations are just so different. Yeah, you know. Yeah, how, there's how a lot of mesh China and the U.S. and Brazil and Italy. Yeah, it's and there's there's stuff we can all agree on, like you know, murder's pretty bad and stealing. Sure, and you probably can't buy, but like there's a there's a lot there's a wide range of ethical moral things that are just kind of preference if we get right down mm-hmm. to it. Totally, uh, it'd be fearsome to craft some kind of legislation. It would be binding against all the the Federation members. The <laughs> the one where they sat down and said, "What should the drinking age be?" They were just like. You know what? Let's create a new alcohol that's not really mm-hmm. alcoholic. Let's just get rid of that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Drink it at any age, but you'll never get drunk. Except for Romulan ale, we can all agree should be banned everywhere all the time. Yes. Uh, I yeah, I and I, I like how they established here that the lieutenant is concerned that her outburst in a private journal might have been the, you know, the smoke alarm that alerted the Federation. There's so like there's there's a little bit of a B plot of her grappling with how she feels about being a genetically modified her genetically modified lineage and whatnot mm-hmm. um yeah and potentially you know getting una outed uh yeah it's it's pretty good i like it sure Patel sits down with pike and he recounts the story about meeting una for the first time and then she asks him when he first found out that una was illyrian making the point that he should absolutely not testify in this case for the safety of himself and his whole crew. It's funny on second watch is very clear what she's doing that like she's being mm-hmm. a pro- she's essentially a prosecutor trying to get a witness into a pattern of answering easy questions and it's really quick just so when you hit him with the 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 hammer they clam up and look guilty and he fell right into it, you know. And it works and- so well because they have this 
easy pre-existing relationship where he might believe that this person is just sitting down with him to reminisce for a minute and then yeah hammer him with the questions he can't refuse to answer yeah no i thought that was really is really good and it really is really you know because like he's you know pike is uh, confident in the fact that justice will prevail in the federation and Mm -hmm like both sides are trying to tell him in his last two scenes, like don't get too comfortable thinking that we're going to win this because we're right. Mm-hmm. Like this is the law, dude. This that being right is nice, <laughs> but it doesn't mean yeah. you're going to prevail. Right. Being right is two tenths of the law. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like this next scene quite a bit where Ortega and or Ortega's and Mbenga are sitting there watching Spock and the Vulcan prosecutor, across the room, kind of just imagining what they must be saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ortegas is like, yeah, they, they must be buddy-buddy. You know, I could see the way they're acting. And Mika's like, ah, I wouldn't be so sure about that. They read their body language. Uh, and then Spock comes over and says, I hate that guy, essentially. Yeah. He brings out, I regret that you saw my outburst. Uh, which, which I think was him just me. like sighing after standing up, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, like a brief moment inside, and because uh-huh. like they, they, I mean, they're arch, they're very f- straight back posture, but they look like they're having a pleasant time, and yeah. uh, and this is like my favorite Star Trek trope is when, and I, I like that they're getting into the season two. It's like I always like when two crew members are having a private chuckle over the foibles of a third. Mm-hmm. You know, like Deanna and Riker laughing in their cups as Data walks away after f- completely misunderstanding human interaction or, you know, you can mm-hmm. think of a bunch of them. It's like always really entertaining. And like Mbinga and Ortega kind of like <clears throat> about Spock's outburst, I thought was was cute. Yeah. Yep. Feels good. Um, the crew ensemble, it's starting to work. Yeah, I think so. Even though we've lost a couple of them i, I guess yeah. we're we're definitely going to get una back yeah after oh this yeah episode. she's she's back by the end of this episode uh lon asks uhura for any comms and personal logs referencing una and uhura refuses to break regulations by handing over those logs uh yeah th- this is exactly how i expected this interaction to go and and i was hoping it would go because as soon as Uhura starts quoting a regulation. I'm like, there's no way she can break this. She takes her job way too seriously for her to relent here. And I was gratified to see that by the end of it, she did not relent. I was too. And I was expecting her to be, cause like this is human nature. Like your commanding officer comes up and is like, look, it's for our friend. Do it anyway. I'm giving you a direct order. Like yeah. there's like three different ways. And her is a fucking rock. Which mm-hmm. a little surprised me because, like, if you remember last season, she's kind of wishy-washy about whether she wanted to be on the Federation or not. Yeah. I guess she's got the zeal of the convert, and she's like, and it's ultimately right. Like, look, I know what you're trying to do, and it's I probably agree with your aims, but mm-hmm. can we agree that giving me an illegal order, especially after I don't, you just got a speech about fruit of the poisonous tree, that this isn't going to help anyone, uh, and can so, end up hurting us? Like, and and that's not what. Uh, uh, Una Chin Riley would want for us, Lieutenant. Right. But yeah, yeah I, you, I, I you love seeing why a Federation she... officer with backbone standing up against a superior yeah. officer trying to to do an end round uh, run around regulations. You let you love to see it, mm-hmm. especially one as storied as Uhura. Uh, let me ask you this: so the damning evidence is in Lon's personal logs. 
she can't pull her own personal logs i didn't understand that like is it were you supposed to understand that they are archived and she can't get because like it kind of blew my mind that she couldn't just read it but like also or is is she trying to ask for uh she's like wanting to see all communications and like she's wanting to see the connect like did someone is she trying to absolve herself like if she can see that somebody else had it in their logs maybe 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 yeah that could be it that's actually a good idea too but i was thinking more of like you know if she just looks and like yep i wrote it that in a journal that doesn't say that someone transmitted that record to starfleet legal Mm. right oh she wants like the records attached to like the access of those logs as well. Because she says, I want all communications referring to Chin Riley in the past six months, including personal logs. So I mm-hmm. think like it's not just the log. She wants to know like all the things that went into it. You know, she's trying to get like a big do- dossier of data. So I, I think, but yeah. you might be right too that like, well, hell, if seven people were writing, hey, then I actually think that, I saw, I saw Una's palms glow yesterday i think she's an illyrian the dead uh-huh. then she gives her uh, yeah i don't know uh, a little messy there little they do let you make your own inferences on a couple of these things I, I assume there's a big difference between a captain's log and a personal log right because we see crews access captain's logs all the time without yeah. any bread tape whatsoever true like every time they come across a ship that's been destroyed and they don't know what happened. They go in and they examine the captain's logs. Right. So. Well, like, and I do think because like you, they, you know, back in the old sailing days, captains did keep logs and they were official mm-hmm. like counts of battle. Like, you know, yeah. where, yeah, where the ship was at this time of day, how many people were on it. And it was like a public record. But haven't I even, haven't we even heard like, like in Next Generation, like Riker will be like, you know, first officer's personal log. Mm-hmm. And I guess like there's like you got the public record, and then you've got like the more diary thing. I think that's mm-hmm. what they're getting at. Makes sense because you're right. A captain's log should be essentially like a police blotter. Like anyone should have access to that. Yeah. Uh, all right. The trial begins. The charges are read, and Una pleads not guilty. The prosecution makes their opening remarks. The genetic engineering is unnatural, Aaron. It's un. It's against God. And nature. Uh, the defense does the same, claiming that the law as it stands is unjust. And based There's on a lot of things baseless of, centuries old fear. There's a lot of things about the society they're living in that could be made illegal based on the argument it's unnatural. It is transporters, weird. wild to hear matter them. replicators. Yeah. Uh, literally anything in your modern society is technically unnatural yeah um the other thing i was like we haven't i don't know where else to talk about this but like there's good reasons to be against eugenics aside from the fact that Khan nearly wiped out all of humanity back in the early the mid 21st century right like that's something we debate now like should we have designer babies Sure, definitely some more nuanced reasons or yeah like what happens if the top one percent of the population is able to have gene therapies where their children are going to be on average 30 to 40 percent smarter than baseline humans or 34 like is that a world we want to live in talk about a wealth gap i mean now you have yeah and they're gonna oh by the way they're gonna start living longer yeah 
They're going to be healthier longer. They're going to like that. That shit is stuff that I think people can rightly be uncomfortable about, you mm-hmm. know, like as, as making disparities and stuff. But like the show didn't, you know, they, they didn't touch that probably because it fucks up the point they're trying to make. You know, this is clearly. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I did. This is a this is a I thought this, I took this as a trans allegory. Is that what you got out of this whole or just because I mean, it definitely uh, works on. Yeah. You know, be. many different like work on religious practice uh, prejudices. So you could, you know, this could be t- talking about uh, people wearing hijab or the um, uh, yamical. What is the Jewish version of that? Head coverings, religious uh, uh, observations, uh, sexual lifestyles, gender, uh, you know, like yeah. especially when they talk about passing, um, mm-hmm. you know, like because there's 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 a whole, de- you know, various debates going around about that. It's like it, it it's something that is not just about that, but I definitely thought that mm-hmm. was one of the things it uh, it was about. Yeah, and for sure. You you always have imperfect analogies. You know, it's like I always go with True Blood. You know, True Blood is a, a loose allegory about how people feel about gay people. But mm-hmm. like in this allegory, the vampires are a lethal threat to humanity. They are recruiting like crazy, forcibly turning people the vampires against their will. Like mm-hmm. it's like when you when you actually get down to the text, it's problematic, and it's it's like. Yeah, there are good reasons to be against eugenics, especially if only a few people have them. And also you get super soldiers. And but it, I think that gets mm-hmm. in the way of the overall point they're trying to make. So they just they just like neatly duck it. They make it seem it's very like when she says it's centuries old baseless fear. It's centuries old. It's not a baseless fear. I've sure. seen the Wrath of Khan. He's a real fucker. I've seen Spacey. Yeah. That guy's a maniac. Could you know bad bad news if he took over? So, but I don't know. That's that's uh, that's what that's what happens with allegory, right? Sure, it's it's definitely reductionist, and like the the general argument, like I said, from the prosecution is this is a natural thing, and that is not persuasive to me at right. all. No, uh, it it's it's not nuanced enough to be persuasive. So, right, it's not natural to die peacefully in your bed. And yet that's what we all aspire to. So sure. Go die screaming with a Jaguar around your throat. If you want a natural death, you know, <laughs> starve that's during the winter go, because you no longer can forge for food. If you want a natural death, if you're, if you want to die comfy in bed, then join us in the unnatural world where we get to do shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A question for you about the legal system here. What happens if Una doesn't consent? to Battelle as the prosecutor. Can she just postpone oh. this trial for eternity by not consenting to the prosecutor? I didn't even pick that up. She was allowed over. to consent to the prosecutor? Yeah. Was that only because there is a conflict of interest with her bone and pike? Or was that just like part possibly, of the... Possibly? Possibly. I, I don't I, know because we imagine, don't know enough about the system. But I imagine if she wouldn't consent, it'd be some kind of process you'd have to go through. You know, mm-hmm. kind of like a change of venue, but uh, not even get that. That's that's interesting. Yeah, I thought it was. I was looking at all like, OK, how does this whole legal system here work? Because we don't often get this kind of glimpse into the federation right. legal system. And when we do, it's almost always ridiculous. Yep. Because <laughs> because these writers don't they barely know how a fucking warp engine is supposed to work. Oh, let my alone God. The complexities of the legal system they're trying to critique speaking of 
always ridiculous. This next scene kills me, man. Uh, again, don't know how the legal system work works, but they call up Admiral April to the stand. Battelle asks if he would have sponsored Una's Starfleet application if he knew that she was modified. He says no. And then Nira gets to cross-examine him, asks why, and he says it's because of the Starfleet regulations. So she just goes on a fucking tangent like you've never seen. Objection after objection from the prosecution being completely ignored by the court. Not answered. Mm. Not even not even acknowledged by the court that someone has right. objected. And Nira is just off on this rip. Uh she asked him about the prime directive and how he's broken that regulation before. So why wouldn't he have broken it to sponsor Una's application? Because he's a racist, obviously. And the judge then after doing nothing for 45 minutes as she goes on a rant, finally strikes all that from the record and they recess. Uh, and then the crew wonders how any of that could have possibly helped Duna, which I also wondered. I, But I thought, like, look, it's definitely adversarial, but she's making a point that these Starfleet captains do whatever the fuck they want. And it wasn't just like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, and she started off with one. It's like, well, I, you know, I'm trying to prevent a genocide. There was a pre-industrial civilization. There was a drought. I had Federation technology. I revealed, but she's like, one time she he evaded confinement by revealing the starship. And like, I'm thinking, like, you know, like what the hell? Did he go on shore leave, uh, get drunk at a bar, and just you know, had him beam him out of jail or something? Like, what, what, what? How? But I think is the point she's making is that like. This is General Order One, the Prime Directive, mm-hmm. and you break and it all the time. I just this admiral's broken it three times as a captain, and obviously he's not court-martialed. So there's obviously ways around the most important laws we have. So it's like, mm-hmm. yes, he was a giant asshole. Oh, I get the some, point, and I get the yeah. I get the line of argument. I what I don't get is the procedure, like. When the prosecution oh, the fact objects, the judge there should sitting... be some acknowledgement that the prosecution has objected, yeah. whether that's sustained or overruled. Yeah. Either way, they need to at least acknowledge that the prosecution exists in this scenario. But they don't have a jury. Like, there's no person the judge advocate general can turn to and be like, you got to disregard all that crazy shit that person just said. But then she does. She strikes it all from the record after She that, strikes it from so. the record. But yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, no, I, you're I right. It was very, all procedure based. Like the point she's making are fine and valid and good, yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. what is the procedure of this court? Yeah, you got an objection, and it's being sustained. Like, at what point do you get the bailiff to come and tackle them? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I don't Judge know. Judges uh, authorizing phaser set to stun by the bailiffs. <laughs> One more outburst from defense. <laughs> yeah. Every time an objection is ignored, they crank it up one setting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're gonna get dis- you're gonna get personally disrupted if you mm-hmm. if you make one more controversial statement. And then we go in private here, where Admiral April says to Pike just how highly he thinks of Una, implying that Nira is doing a terrible job with her defense. Well, and it's like. It's a di- if it's it's a difference of tactics because he's basically saying, "What if I, the nice, handsome Federation admiral, had gotten a chance to say that I personally decorated her for gallantry?" And yeah, it's like too bad the rest of the court didn't get to hear that today. My ah, man, I I was trying to think of like, is this because like first. I, 
are we are we saying the Starfleet judge is not going to have access to her service record? Like that's stuff usually on page one, all your different medals and whatnot. Like I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Is it is it make a big is it make a bigger deal if uh, you know? Because like none of these other character witnesses seem to like do anything. So I, I don't know. I, I I try to figure out and also like why why so this was a little insulting I guess to him and made get, he got like kind of some rough legal treatment, but he's not he's not in legal jeopardy here. So, like, I don't know. No. I felt like Admiral April was a little... Well, I think he holds Una in high regard, as he says, and yeah. he doesn't want to see her fry for this. So, like... So it's more like he actually thinks the defense attorney's gone crazy. Yeah. Like, she's okay. she's not going to... She's not helping the case. Um, but it all works out. Uh, Una's pissed when she realizes that Nira isn't here to help her. She's here to fight the Federation, and there's clearly something personal in their past, as has been hinted before, but they still refuse to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Even though Una wants to, but Nira's like, ah, no. And Nira's like, see with me, what you see is what you get. And I'm like, except for we don't, because you don't look Illyrian. Yeah. I need to see your shit glow. All right? <laughs> I need some glowing shit, some antenna. That's That completes the trans allegory. They just can't go into the bathroom because their shit literally gr- glows. <laughs> And we would it know. We would see the glowing shit from the stall and be like, you right. are an Illyrian. You're taking a glowing shit over there. This is the <laughs> no. non-glowing shit room. I'm uh-huh. calling the police. Yeah. There you go. Anyway, the defense calls three character witnesses, Lon, Spock, and Mbinga, and they are examined. They are cross-examined. And they all speak very highly of Una, calling her family. How'd you like... What do you think about Spock's... Uh half smirk eyebrow raise at his uh, Gilbert and Sullivan musical joke. And what is it with Gilbert Gilbert and Sullivan musicals and Starfleet personnel? Yeah. Can we stop just, can we just all together stop referencing Gilbert and Sullivan? What is it? A hundred and two, 200, 400 years since they've been relevant. I know. I know, but come on. It's been a long time. Reference Lin-Manuel Miranda reference. Like some, if you know, can't reference kind of the Supreme thing, Court but... statute that establishes the 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 uh, poison the fruit of the poisonous tree, you you cannot reference pop culture from before right. that date. Okay, right. All right. right. I'm with you. I'm I'm tired of Starfleet officers playing jazz and listening to classical music and reading Shakespeare. I want to mm-hmm. see some. I want to see. I want to see someone who's reading fucking Dan Brown. I want to see some someone's. <laughs> it's obsessed with with Diane Steele romance novels. Oh, Jesus, I, that I, that would that would have been Gates McFadden. That that would have been Beverly. Can She's I get a reading. captain that likes listening to the Beatles, which would still be classical mm-hmm. music in their day? That's three hundred year old music in their day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the closest we get is uh, Kirk blasting. Like this would like us jamming to Green Sleeves, like mid, like you know Renaissance Fair music. Mm-hmm. It, come on, <laughs> I don't. I never intentionally listen to that song. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I don't know how I felt about that. I don't think it was great, but I do like him claiming that it's illogical for Starfleet to punish itself by getting rid that of such was a, a good g- officer as Una. That's good. That was a good ass line about that the, uh, the Federation should not. It's illogical for the Federation to punish itself by refusing to use her services. Yeah, that was that was good. Mm-hmm. And it was a judo move on the prosecution who was trying to get him to admit something. Also, what you it, say, uh, Noonie and Soon's first name is is Lon. Lon, yeah. 
Lon's uh, Una means family. <laughs> I, could, I couldn't help but think of Lilo and Stitch. Like, Una means family. Una means never being left behind or forgotten. <laughs> Jim, I, do you not know, do you not know the not meaning of Ohana? Movie. Oh, my. No. Okay, we'll have to fix that one of these days. Do we? Do we have to fix that? Well, I, I feel know, like you're you're coming to the Leary and saying, "Yeah, we need to fix what's broken with you." And we I'm keep like, on shaving, keep on shaving finer slices off of you. First, it's the I'm never watching Princess Bride. Shave that. It's now I'm never going to watch a Harry Potter. <laughs> and now it's like I refuse to watch. Lilo I'm not and the one who's broken. You all are. Support that ball. You're the com. inferior if you'd like species. To commission a Lilo and Stitch podcast and force Jim <laughs> cut another sliver off of him. Uh, <laughs> Let's do it. Look, if it means two hundred and fifty bucks in my pocket, I'm plus the live action reboot's coming out. It's relevant again. Oh yeah, which that's going to be a mid. How are they doing a live action of whichever one is the horrible, hideous monster? Uh, that's a good question because based on what they did with the live action, a little the 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 live action version of Sebastian and Flounder are so horrifying that if they do a live action version (laughs) of Stitch, it fucking might look like a xenomorph. It, it, did they do puppets in the Little Mermaid, or did they have like literal? No, it's lobsters? all terrible CG. All terrible CG. Okay, I think they just flopped a lobster on the table with you know with the bands on its claws and everything, just fresh out of yeah. the Kroger tank. Yeah, yeah. Everyone is mad about uh, the, uh, having a little black mermaid, but the real horror show was a fucking photorealistic crab <laughs> being okay. her best friend. That's what the real problematic aspect of the the film was. We got we got to move on. Yes, Can't talk please. About this anymore? Red alert! Here comes an ad break. Let's boldly go back to the episode. Welcome back to Baldly Go. Uh, Nira asks if Lon has made any progress on that illegal evidence thing she was investigating. Lon says she thinks it was her fault that Una was exposed because she talked about it in her personal log. Nira says there's no way that could have been true because enough time hasn't passed for the proper procedure, blah, 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 federation, regulation. Uh, and they both wonder who could it have been then? Uh, somebody who could gain something from exposing the truth. No, exactly the opposite. I do have evil Federation whiplash like you know I've been watching three seasons of the Federation getting up to the dirtiest of stuff and like Picard and whatnot and like Mm -hmm. here is the Starfleet not even a Starfleet officer a defense attorney which seems like the it it must be true but it seems like the height of naivete 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 yeah yeah for her to be like it takes six months of paperwork and countless admirals authorization to even sniff a person's personnel log like aw aw you believe that there aren't people in the federation that can just section section 34 come on right but it's actually refreshing that someone here's a public servant with faith in this rock solid that hates the federation but yeah, still yeah. knows that the federation would follow its own fucking rules okay i thought that was kind of kind of sweet mm-hmm. yeah i like it um I don't know, and there's kind of a discussion here about, you know, Lon's own mods and stuff um, that we didn't really get into. But yeah, I, I, I generically agree or generally agree that like genetics are not the be all end all 
I mean, that's it's kind of one of the points they make in that DS9 episode with Bashir. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, we can give you intelligence and we can give you hand-eye coordination, but what we can't give you is a personality. We can't give you ambition. We can't give you kindness. We None of that comes with those things. Mm-hmm. That's you. And I... I am generally of the opinion that that would be true. What if you're genetically modified to be 37% more empathetic, though? Can you do that? And 27% I don't know how more you charming. would do that. Yeah, that's a good question. Like, are there genes for for being for telling good jokes, <laughs> for telling yeah. stories well? Are there genes for being kind to others? I don't know. I don't think There's so. There's also I really like the point about this fear because she's like you're afraid that your modifications that uh you know we we thought were dormant are not that dormant and they're going to make you a monster but that fear is not something that's within you it's been drilled into you yeah like, I like this, this is society teaching you to fear yourself and it's like mm-hmm. Man, that must that's a real trip if you're growing up in a imagine what it's like to grow up in a society where you before maybe even realize that this defines you that you are told that like a genetically modified person is a freak, a genetically modified person uh, is a killer. Uh, they can't be trusted, they're ruthless, they're bloodthirsty. And then you find that that is you. Like the amount of self-hatred and self-fear that could manifest would be uh pretty intense. And uh, I felt, yeah, I really felt for for Lon here and for any kid that grows up in an environment telling that, that being told that who they are is something that's evil. Uh, oh, and I that, think that tons, can't change is... tons of kids do. And it's not, it's that's not just a race thing. It's not just those issues, but like religion teaches you that. Sure. Vast majority of religions teach you that you are a flawed, imperfect thing. And I might agree with the imperfect thing, but what you are not is inherently bad. But that's what they would tell you. That you yeah, have to overcome like, your own nature in order to be accepted. It's ridiculous. Yeah, agreed. Like, you know, but the, even in within religion, there's also some religions that fear and distrust other religions, most religions. And, you know, you can get you get uh, a religious minority grows up in, in uh, those environments that can be all fucked up, too. But. Uh, yeah, it's like I it, it's some pretty good writing. I liked it, and I'm actually excited to see. I I kind of hope when I heard Noonien sing, I'm like, oh, I I think that's kind of cool. I have a super soldier as a security officer, and I do hope they play with a little bit of like you know what kind of modifications that you have, and how's that gonna, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and then like how much of her light has she been hiding? You know, like is she is she like super strong, and she just hasn't flashed that out because she doesn't want to out her? Like she's oh become a, a a much more interesting character. When your, when your friends and crewmates are being murdered by a vicious Gorn, you're not yeah. going to bust out the super arms, especially when you were. Um, I don't know. Did that come out in the last season's ep- Gorn episode that she was rescued from like a Gorn breeding operation? Something like every that. fucking word of that is horrifying. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Huh. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, no, she's, uh, I love it. A psychologically traumatized, genetically engineered super version of Kamina Drummer from The Expanse. I can't mm-hmm. wait. <laughs> yeah, let's see it. All right, the trial continues. Una is called to testify. She talks about why she joined Starfleet despite the risks and what it was like growing up as a genetically modified person. Uh, Una tells that story and then adds a personal apology into it for Nira um, for leaving all the other Illyrians behind. 
and Nira asks who turned her in and Una reveals that I turned myself in because I was sick of lying and wanted to make a point about how Illyrians aren't as bad as they fear. It's all very emotional. So the Vulcan steps in to suck all that emotion out of the room, drag everyone from the Enterprise crew into the case in a charge of conspiracy because Captain Pike also knew. Yeah, it kind of backs the fuck off Battelle because, like, uh, saying, like, my colleague did not do the due diligence and asked the right question, so I'm going to do it right here, right now. I'm going to establish this Mm -hmm. as a conspiracy, and this is far from being inspirational. This person's so toxic that she's already corrupted one of our best commanding officers, and she should be found guilty, and I'll try. Yeah, he's a a lot. He's a fucking lot. But this this speech that uh rebecca remain here is giving she she delivers it very well i was Mm -hmm. very moved by everything she was saying um especially when she gets to the personal apology stuff when Mm -hmm. when i think it was the moment when nira realized what she was doing like oh and and one more thing i need to apologize here in front of everyone uh for all, all the wrongs you know that i've done to you I thought it was a really good turn, and then it just got more emotional from there. Yeah, and they. this is also the speech that's going to establish all three points of the... And I had no idea that's what's going on until they did. Yeah. It's one of those few times really I appreciated smart. the flashback to the statements as they're saying the kind of because but because they do they the, all three elements of the mm-hmm. uh, what is it the uh, not clemency the sanctuary request are being made here the asylum requests are being made here and uh, it it all tracks. Yeah, I mean, she didn't technically request asylum, but it's it's easy enough to see it that way if you're so inclined. And I think well, this... especially since it's like it's 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 a great refuted the Pasak's claim of like, well, now that we're injecting the emotion, let's just we need to get this right back to the fucking law. And it's like a great judo move. She's like, all right, if you want to go by the strict meanings of the law, here's the Federation's uh, mm-hmm. you know three part test for uh, asylum. And it's it's like yeah. so it's like it's 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 great. It's great because it's 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 her using this guy's strict legalistic, you know, fuck context, fuck nuance, just letter of the law against him. Yeah. And honestly, and, and it's, it's is, the most sophisticated. I know we've said kind of shit about it, but I actually think this is the well, one yeah. of the more sophisticated courtroom scenes we've seen in Star Trek, and they average about one a season. Yeah, I was gonna say as bad as I thought that previous courtroom scene was, I think this is three times as good as that was. Like, yeah. It, it more than made up for that scene. Right. And it, it helps that, like, on a lot of courtroom scenes, like, one or both of the members on trial is a literal devil or the judge is a literal demigod or, you know... <laughs> oh, it's, with, it's, like, it's, it's Wesley yeah. stepped on a greenhouse. Like, it's... This is this this has actually got some, some meat to it and some actual yeah. courtroom strategy. I liked it. Yeah. No, and some on-the-fly thinking. I, I always like to see that, right? Like... Yeah. It's not that she had this defense planned it's that she saw an opportunity and she struck that's good i res it makes near out to be very clever because like you know una surmises she assembled all this information it's it's a high risk thing because boy what if she was wrong about mm-hmm. you know who who revealed you know what if like una didn't know what if she didn't reveal herself but like i guess it looked pretty bad anyway. Pasak was closed in for the kill, so she did a Hail Mary, an educated guess. But uh... And I mean, when she starts off, Nira is just trying to say, hey, she's a good person. You know, she's trying, she's trying to get the, 
and she's had it rough. You know, these hardships are are mm. something significant in her life. We need to give her a little bit of latitude yeah. here. What she doesn't realize is that she's inadvertently establishing this law that is going to, or this idea that she could be protected by the law that the Vulcan's going to just walk into. And we, we didn't really like recap that part, but yeah, Vulcan steps up, says uh, it's logical to find her guilty, and Nira has Patel read this regulation about asylum, and she fits all of those uh, regulations to a T. And the judges rule her not guilty. Yep. Uh, like the and the fact that captains can, I guess, you know, like um, ad hoc and in the field grant provisional asylum and things like that, because of course they can, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, especially this era of Starfleet captain. So they got yeah. She just hoisted Pasak up by his own logic. And then in a final scene here we see una thanking nira for saving her as does the crew of the enterprise or at least the bridge crew uh yeah and some nurses some doctors then the crew welcomes una home and pike hugs her which i think is surprising yeah i mean i think they've done a pretty good job of leaving the romantic tension out of their role and i hope they continue to do that i I thought this was like a friendly mm-hmm. hug though oh yeah why do yeah, you think it was sure. surprising i think it was surprising to una she was oh. not she because she doesn't reciprocate it very much uh she didn't know how to feel about that hug even though it, I, I think it was oh, yeah shit. just you know see innocent. now you're making me think they're going to start leaning into like the like pike and patel are going to be on the out so but like ah i just don't i don't Captain or first so. officer i don't know no i don't think they're going there um okay good she, she was just surprised i guess by the hug not not like wondering ooh, what does it mean gotcha just like oh i didn't uh, expect that yeah, and there's like there's little bitterness that like because the Federation, the crafty Federation admiral found a way to very limit like, you know, again, by granting asylum, that's essentially, you know, uh, it it, dis- it dismisses the larger question of what should Illyrians be it gives the judges an out. Yeah, yeah an, like an they don't, easy out. We don't just say... there's no precedence forming here. Yeah. You know, other than, yeah, if you have a rough life and you come to the Federation, you ask for uh, asylum, we'll get it, give it to you. But, um, you know, like Nira pointed out, it's like, well, it's, uh, you know, it wasn't a landmark case. It is a technicality, but I'm I'm looking at a Starfleet crew that proudly serves under an Illyrian commander. And that's a good start. Uh mm-hmm. You know, winning over to Federation hearts and mind one at a time. Like I that's because like, you know, a lot of. Because hey, that mirrors in real life. A lot of times when we get these landmark civil rights things, they aren't like these big sweeping things that ultimately settle the, the, the question like we hope. It's like usually a very narrow thing, but it's it is progress. And sometimes it's easy to get down and think about like, oh, it's just things that never get better, blah, blah, blah. But um, yeah, I like how Nira looked at it. It's it's a good start. Yeah, you got to chip away at those big problems. And I also liked how no nonsense Una was because like her whole crew is like making puppy dog uh, eyes at her and she's like, you know, well, thank you. And now get back to your fucking stations. Let's get back to work because <laughs> uh-huh. I am the first officer. God damn it. Yeah. And that's the episode. Yep. 
Uh, so that is what we thought about this episode. What did you think about it? Uh, our hailing frequencies are open at Star Trek at baldmove.com. We'll be back with a feedback episode um, or consider some at the end of the podcast uh, in a podcast uh, near you soon here on this feed. Uh, thanks for listening. If you would like to follow along with us, everything else we're doing, because, man, we're about to start a bunch of bunch of stuff. Foundation, Justified, City Primeval, The Bear, Season 2. Uh, you can follow us at twitter.com slash bald move. And if you'd like to get access to our uh, ad free feeds and our bonus audio and visual content and help support us uh, doing what we're doing here at bald move, we'd happy to have you in our club at support.baldmove.com. That's going to do it for this week. Until next week, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See you later. <laughs>